WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote, and joining me fresh from San Diego is the likely a little exhausted Zach Quaintance. Zach, how are you feeling this fine Monday? I'm very exhausted, but also uh, inspired and happy to be here. Um, there's, we got a lot to talk about, obviously. I kind of sent you like a whole list of stuff. I don't think we're going to get to all of it. But, um, you know, I guess overall to start, like, how was the experience for you? It was great. Uh, I think there's a series of cliches you hear while you're there from basically everyone you talk to, which is something along the lines of, oh, my God, I am so exhausted. But in between that, this is amazing. And um, that's largely true. I mean, the first day I was there, it was, it was a little overwhelming. Um, but once I got my legs under me and figured out uh, that this sort of like physicality and rigorousness was going to be how it was the entire weekend, I was kind of like able to mentally adjust and just go for it. Were there days that were like lighter than others or were you pretty much on your feet? Uh, you know, every single day? Um, I'm sure there was a little bit of variance, but not enough for me to really pick up on. Um, my my standard day was get there around nine or so, sort of jostle with the crowd outside to get in, um, wander the exhibit floor, fantasizing about spending tons of money there, and then <laughs> go start going to panels and in, I was kind of in between panels in the press room since I was writing for Comics Beat. Mm -hmm. um, and then in between those panels, I had to hustle down to the exhibit floor a few times to I had pre set up some interviews with creators um, to sit down and talk to them at their company's booths, wherever that was. So there's a lot of moving around and covering a lot of ground every day for me. Um, you know, obviously this was your first, I mean, this was your first San Diego covering for, for comics beat. Was this your first San Diego period though? It was, it was not my first time in San Diego, which I'm told is unusual for first time attendees, but it was my first time going to Comic-Con. Um, I'd actually been in San Diego with my wife a few months ago and we'd, we'd been staying downtown and, and kind of like driven by the convention center. And I sort of like had a moment where I looked at it longingly and thought, what if, what if I could go? And then it, it worked out that I did. Um, did your wife go with you this time? No, she did not. Um, for which I, I mean, for which I was sort of grateful because I, I was really working. Like there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of like, it wasn't a vacation by any stretch. So I needed, there was a lot of like, um, hard work involved and, you know, it wouldn't have been an ideal weekend for us. So uh, I guess what kind of stuff, uh, you know, did the beat have you doing this weekend? Like how many panels did you find yourself up, you know, in, uh, you know, what was a typical day for you? Yeah. So the beat is awesome. Like I've, I've been a long time reader. I love reading it. I was really happy to have a chance to write for them and they were just as cool as um, you might suspect from the outside. It, there really wasn't uh, any requirement past, please write one thing a day. Um, but if you could write two, that'd be better. So I kind of shot for two and, um, it sort of varied. Like the first two days I was there, I wrote, um, I covered a panel each day. Um, I covered the first day I was there, I wrote, I went to the spotlight on Jeff Lemire panel, which was great. Cause I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. 
as I think I say every time I'm on this podcast, <laughs> several times. <laughs> and then the second day, I covered the DC Vertigo panel, which was really difficult because they have seven new books, um, and it was essentially like a seven-part panel. That one was tough. And then um, the third day, I I ended up writing four stories that day, which was like the you know sort of the peak for me mm-hmm. uh, on everything from um, I wrote this goofy thing about Donny Cates announcing a that him and Megan Hutchinson of rock stars were going to do a book with a soundtrack. And, um, I couldn't tell if they were entirely serious. It seemed like they were, but, um, so I kind of made light of that a little bit. And then I covered, uh, um, I went to the only panel I went to sort of out of non-comics interest was twin peaks. I'm a big fan of that. I wrote something goofy about that. Mm-hmm. And I went to IDW's, uh, next big thing panel where they announced a new book on the Black Crown imprint, which I'm also a fan of. Um, the Lodger by uh, David and Maria Lapham of Stray Bullets fame. So that's a pretty exci- that was a pretty exciting thing to be in the room for. Oh, and the last day was X-Men Day. Which yeah. Is probably the one everyone wants to hear most about because um, that had the most, I guess, uh, immediate news to it, which is the return of Uncanny X-Men. Yeah, I mean, and, and just that, you know, no no creative team attached. Uh, I, I will say, you know, knowing you were going into that panel, that that was the day I was most vicariously uh, living through you. Um, let's let's kind of let's talk about this one for a second, because the big thing that came out of there was uh, talking about what X-Men Black is. Um, five one shots, each one focusing on a different villain. Uh, some pretty great creative teams in there. Uh, pretty interesting when, uh, you know, Chris Claremont is one of the, the, the less exciting uh, <laughs> writers uh, announced on a book. Uh, you know, uh, Leah Williams has been on this podcast before uh, getting an Emma Frost one shot with Chris Bacallo, you know, one of the all time yes. great X-Men artists. You know, I, I feel like that's where all the joy in Whoville was that day. Just watching the I, I was really happy there. for her because I know she's a big X-Men fan. And it's like for people of our age, which I think she's roughly included in, mm-hmm. um, that's like the – for me, that was one of the X-Men artists. So I was like, yes, good. Great for her. That, how exciting. And I'm sure it will show in the work when we eventually see it. Yeah. Uh, also excited for the um, the Apocalypse backup story that's running throughout them all by uh, Zach Thompson and Lottie Nadler. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to read their cable arc, but it was very good. So I'm looking forward to that one. I haven't read their cable arc uh, just because cable book is something I've never bought, Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm probably catch up in trade to it because I've really liked their creator own stuff um, to date. And uh, Daniel Warren Johnson being involved in the tail end of that arc made me regret sort of not following it from the start because I'm a huge fan of his work. Yeah. Um, what uh, what are some of like the favorite moments that you had, be it, you know, sitting in a panel, interviewing a creator, or just like walking the floor and looking at stuff? Because there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. I, that, that's my overall review of San Diego Comic-Con is uh, <laughs> San Diego Comic-Con. There's a lot of stuff. Um. You know, it's all sort of a blur. It all kind of, it kind of all goes into one, one big feeling for me. Uh, to pull some stuff out, I'd say uh, the second morning when I walked in was was pretty impressive because the first morning it was just like shoulder to shoulder. Every there was a lot of energy, people kind of jostling and like it was just too much. 
Uh, the second morning, I kind of got a full sky. I went to Artist Alley. I went to, I actually stepped into some of the booths and bought some things. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is the experience. Um, and aside from that, every creator I sat down with was amazing. Like you hear it said all the time, comics people are so nice. Comics people are so nice. And um, it couldn't be any more true. Like it, it not only, like there, there's just not, quite so much of a hierarchy in those interviews there's pr people hovering around which always makes everything weird sure but uh the actual creators when they're talking to you is, is are very personable and um it was really um fun to feel that to feel um just kind of the the enthusiasm they have for for what they do conveyed so earnestly who are some of the ones I should- should- oh i'm sorry go ahead yeah, I, sh- I well, I think I know what you're going to ask. I should know who I talk to at this point. I'm <laughs> being um, so vague about it. I Drop those talk- names, Zach! <laughs> <laughs> I talked to Vida Ayala. Nice. Um, who, on the very first day, took a uh, look at me and was like, I have to give you medicine, and gave me uh, cough drops and uh, that vitamin C mixture stuff. So that was very helpful. I think it saved me. Was it was it because you were like were you exhibiting premature concrud or was it just because like she could tell you were a first timer and you needed that immunity boost? I think I was whining. <laughs> I think I was like, oh my throat, my throat's scratchy, and so Vita went and got me uh, help, and it really did help. So I was very grateful for that. That's great. Um, I also spoke with Jeff Lemire, um, which I was. Obviously, the most nervous for that one. Sure. But I held I held it together pretty well. I think I only, I only stumbled. I was trying to say um, creatively, and I was like creatively. <laughs> so that was embarrassing. But one word, I feel, I feel like I nailed the rest of the words I pronounced in that interview. So that was good. Um, I also talked to Steve Orlando, who who was great. Um, packed more into a nine minute interview on top of DC's booth and most panels I went to. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. Which is nonstop. And then I went to a uh, press round table for the, the new DC Vertigo books where I had two sessions of interviews along with other reporters. The first one was with Mark Russell. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Which alone, Ramon Villalobos, Eric Escoval and Brian Edward Hill at one table. So that was, that was all kinds of comic excellence at that table. Quite the pedigree. Then, yeah, it, indeed. And then the other table was Robbie Rodriguez, uh, Zoe Quinn, and Rob Sheridan, who are all doing exciting new Vertigo books. Um, I think we've talked about the future of Vertigo on this podcast before, but I definitely came away very excited for it after learning, hearing them talk directly about their work. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the... You know, from from my lowly position of, of being here in South Jersey, kind of uh, scrolling through Twitter, it looked like one of the stars of the weekend was Tom King's bodyguard. Yeah, I got that impression from Twitter as as well. I was never in Tom King or his bodyguard's vicinity at any point, but it was definitely a source of uh, merriment, probably for everyone. But Tom King, who may or may not have been under actual threat, that's always crazy to me that creators have to deal with that. Yeah, well, handled. I think he got he got comic skated a little bit around the time of the uh, of Batman Fifty. So, was that what it, well, I couldn't? T- I mean, I knew there were people coming after him. Yeah, because he had he like tweeted something on Mother's Day that he was grateful for his single mom, which is somehow 
a sign of weakness. It's insanity. But, yeah. Uh, and then I think it was also a mixture of people being upset about the bat cat wedding not not pulling off. I yeah, think it, he got a little bit of flack for that as well. Yeah, including it being spoiled, which had nothing to you know. There was not a situation under his control. No, absolutely not. And and I heard him talking about this um, on the internet somewhere, talking about how he could understand if you just saw the spoiler, why you would be angry with all the buildup and the foreshadowing. But the, if you actually read the comic, there's sort of a palate cleanser at the end that gives you hope and makes it frames it narratively that like without it, you know, you're you're infuriated by something you only understand like a small fraction of. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he had a massive bodyguard with him. So, yeah, and, and I saw on his Twitter today he made it home safe. So I'm happy for him. Yeah, uh, an ex CIA agent with a massive bodyguard—that's double kick your ass right there. So yeah, and actually, in the Vertigo panel, somebody asked, one of us asked. It may have been me. I don't know who it was. Um, we sort of asked the same. We were at two tables and asked the same set of questions twice. We all kind of trade it. Sure. But uh, one of the questions was. Especially with the Vertigo line, they're doing these books that are sort of uh, provocative. Um, and and all, I think all of these creators have been susceptible at certain points to, the, to um, segments of fandom um, lashing out at them. And, and Brian Edward Till's response was, was, these people want to come find me in person. I'm a black belt. They can do that. <laughs> and I, I was like, whoa. <laughs> So he was not afraid. <laughs> um, so you know, let's kind of hammer away at, at some of the news that came out of out of Comic Con. Uh, you know, in general, and you know, obviously, if if you you know if you got to see it, didn't get to see it, um, whatever. There was a lot of you know because Marvel Studios didn't have, a, have you know a presence at Comic Con this year. It felt like a very DC heavy. Con, both for the movies and for the and for the books, you know, which which sure. is good here. Um, but we did get like a, a bunch of DC trailers. We got Titans, we got Shazam, and we got Aquaman. Um, have you gotten to see any of those? Any sort of uh, thoughts? Yeah, I, I've seen them all at this point. Um, both like muted on the screen on my phone while I was in a different panel after they kind of hit. And then when I got home with sound and kind of the full experience on my monitor, um, you know, my, my stance on live action superhero TV is I've never really gotten into any of it ever at any point. Okay. Um, Other than like, I'll sort of have it on in the background while I'm reading comics sometimes, but I'm not, I've never been a big, I've never really immersed myself in any of those shows. And I don't really expect Titans to be any different Mm -hmm. in that regard. I did like the, uh, the F Batman line, just because I feel like it will launch a billion memes within the comic book Twitter sphere. So I'm pretty um, sure it's already happened. I've seen like the, the bat, the Batman slapping Robin while saying fuck Batman, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I saw that too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a fan of anything that gives uh, the meme makers out there a little bit of new material to work with. Cause that stuff can get stale pretty fast. So uh, pro that um, Shazam and Aquaman both look great like especially Shazam in my opinion with the Kendrick Lamar song and everything I was like that nodding my head and just totally goosebumps for that one so, I, Shazam actually surprised me with how much like it's grown on me with subsequent viewings I think my first reaction was is wow this is really 
goofier than I expected. It's almost like they're just stealing the plot of Big, but you know, it's it's definitely got it's got a charm to it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, you know, it's all going to be in the execution, and uh, the I mean, I thought the yeah, it's big with superheroes, sort of the what's for sale there. But if it's yeah. done well, I'm all about it. Uh, I just like lighter superhero movies. I mean, Thor Ragnarok is probably to date my favorite film that I would show someone who's not necessarily into superhero movies, and I think they can get a big kick out of it. So I've always been more uh, susceptible to the goofier stuff, I think. Yeah. Yeah. About uh, about Aquaman? Uh, looks great. I mean, it's like uh, James Wan, Wan, the director. I think that's his, is it, Did I get the name right? I'm not. Yeah. This movie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he's been so enthusiastic through the whole process in spite of all kinds of crazy things happening with, with the DC movies. This just all seemed to bounce right off of him. I mean, how many directors have left the Flash movie in that time? And the guy is like, seems unflappable, which I've always taken as a really good sign mm-hmm. for the movie. And now to see it, the visuals look fantastic. I was actually in the press room, which is right above Hall H at Comic-Con while it was happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could feel it rumbling the floor beneath me. I was like, that it's, and it felt great. It felt like a really good rumble, really encouraging rumble for this movie. So I'm excited to see it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and then for the books themselves, we got some pretty big announcement too. Uh, you know, again, these things had been rumored for a while, but it still feels good to hear the company actually come out and say, Grant Morrison is writing Green Lantern. It does because like those are the these bleeding cool sort of rumors that we yeah. all get we all get excited about whether we admit it or not with like an asterisk. And when it gets actually verified, you can take the asterisk away and just kinda you can discuss it also without someone saying, Well, that's just bleeding cool for now, which is yeah. nice. But yeah, the Grant Moore and did you see the art, the Liam Sharp art? Oh my god. Liam Sharp's art is gorgeous. Yes. Yeah. There's a little bit of prog rock album to it, which I think is awesome. And I, I, yeah, I mean, that's the perfect tone for that, for that book and that character. Yep. Yeah. I'm all about it. Uh, the, even if it's only 12 issues, bring it. Yeah. You know, and even though that book is focusing on Hal, I do like that. Like the justice league, like John Stewart is sort of the second green lantern now, like even in yeah. the, um, the Hanna-Barbera, uh, team up one shots that are coming out in October. It's, it's John Stewart with, uh, with Huck. I know Mark Russell writing set in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Like how do, how is everything, every new Mark Russell book is like more Mark Russell esque than the last. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. Okay. So I'm pretty sure based on how Snagglepuss ended that that is Huck Jr. And that this is Snagglepuss canon. Yeah. Um, I, um, I love that. And I'm so happy you told me that because I saw it and I was like, Oh, this is not, my first impulse was like, I hope this is Snagglepuss canon, as you put it. But then I was like, oh, it's Huck, so I guess it can't be. But you're right. The time would sync up very, perfectly um, with the 70s and the late 50s, early 60s from the last book. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're also getting Kelly Sudaconic on Aquaman. Again, that had been previously rumored. Um you know, that's great. Uh, a little bit before Comic-Con, we got G. Willow Wilson and Carrie Nord announced for Wonder Woman, which I think is a, you know, perfect pairing. Yes. Um, 
And then Jeff Johns is doing Shazam again, which, okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, all three of those, I, I, don't, I don't really know what to say about them other than, good, cool, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Willow Wilson's built up, you know, a huge following from uh, Ms. Marvel and... Yeah, I, I think she's going to have some very interesting things to say with Wonder Woman. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. She's such a thoughtful writer uh, that I, I absolutely agree. And it, I was sort of uh, vastly encouraged to see her new book with Burger Books over at Dark Horse. Uh, the name escapes me right now, but the uh, the the cover and the ideas in that um, just kind of speaks to a professional doing really good work across the board. And, Excited for her to take that to Wonder Woman. Yeah, I, it's it's nice to see her have like a you know a lot of a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, um, and that covers by Christian Ward too. Shout out for that. Eisner winner Christian Ward. Yes, des deservedly so. Uh, the Black Bolt run was was fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, both mm -hmm. him and Saladin Ahmad, incredible work there. Uh, speaking of which, one of your favorite books, Monstrous, cleaned house. At the they Eisner's. won everything. <laughs> yeah, I want a little bit of everything. So and I'm happy because I think more people will read it. And I think that's that's fantastic for this book. Yeah, and even uh, Best Writer, a rare tie with Tom King. Yeah, I don't I didn't hear anyone criticize that decision. I think everyone was like, that that's right, they got it right. Yeah, absolutely. A rare reaction for a reward show tie. Um, another one of the big moves, uh, that was announced on like day one. And I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, Gail Simone overseeing the, uh, Catalyst Prime books over at Lion Forge, their, uh, superhero line. Yes. No, I, I read the first, uh, bout of those, all, almost the first 10 issues of each. I was, and I was preparing to hop off of all of them at issue 10 after Joe Illich sort of left for Valiant because yeah. it seemed maybe his specific vision and a lot of the a lot of the creators from that first wave seem to be leaving as well mm -hmm. but with gail simone coming on I'm, I'm right back i'm not gonna stop reading any of them i think she has a great track record of taking existing concepts and the foundation for catalyst prime is really strong and really uh different uh, every one of those books had a concept on its surface that see, that was sort of not quite a bait and switch but it was it was a deeper layer of idea than it seemed and it was all done really well and I think she can build on that and I'm very very excited to see how she does it. Yeah, she's definitely the, a great pick to be sort of an architect uh, of a line. I am curious to see how it will affect her her other work. You know, uh, Domino is one of my favorite titles right now so, you know, I would mm. be very sad to see either that book get canceled or, 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 or she leave but, you know, this is a big project and a big opportunity. So, you know, I definitely, uh, you know, w wish her all the best with that. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, so you were not in the uh, Heroes in, in Crisis press conference with all the white robes and gold masks then, I take it. I wasn't. I didn't get on the – I think that was on a boat too. It was on a yacht, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've still never been on a yacht. <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, item remains on your bucket list. Yeah, yeah, still all these years, and I've never been on a yacht. Um, it looked weird. It looked super weird. Um, but I think I 
not wavered in my belief that Heroes in Crisis will make me cry several times. Oh, no, 100%. You know, especially it's like it's like his next Mr. Miracle project. He's basically just jumping off that right on, right on to Heroes in Crisis. And, you know, he's got Mitch Garrods on the team too, which hadn't been announced previously for some like standalone stories. So yeah, I I almost feel like every one of those issues is going to be like the kite man two parter of the war of jokes and riddles. Uh, Yeah. I almost expect it to be more personal than that. Given his, his, experience in actual war it yeah. seems like it'd be a story very close to home for a writer who's been doing incredible work it's like what else do you want from art yeah it'll be uh ne- next year's eisner uh submission from him yeah we'll probably get used to tom king winning eisner's if can, we're not ready i can get used to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um marvel knights donny cates how about that let me just say this about Donny Cates is his personality is as big as his stories. And I mean that as a, as a huge compliment, like he's just an entertaining guy. Um, so I went to an image panel that he opened. It was some, one of the other panelists was running late. So he, he just pulls out his phone and says, you guys like Pantera and starts <laughs> playing a Pantera riff. And he's like, Welcome to image. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and then later on during the same panel, he has apparently all of the characters in Redneck, the uh, the central family okay. to that book, were all based on one of his good friends in Austin, both in appearance and name. So at one point, he's like, Bartlett and the rest of you guys stand up, and you look, and it's like the actual guys from Redneck are there, standing there. And these are These are the guys from Redneck. And somebody yells out, did they bring any barbecue? And he was like, you Californians wouldn't know what to do with it. Everybody starts <laughs> <laughs> as, as a former Austinite myself, I got a big kick out of that. Oh, that's pretty great. Um, yeah, did we get, you know, I, I, I did, did we get a lot of detail about the Marvel Knight stuff that he's going to be doing? There was there was a little like mixed message right after it got announced. I think it was first reported as to be a, a, a total Marvel Knights line revival, and then Marvel came back and clarified that it was something like a one time thing to commemorate the 20th anniversary or something. Mm. But I think all we got was the list of creators, which um, was Donny Cates, Matt Rosenberg, uh, Teeny Howard, and Vita Ayala, and that struck me right away as sort of like a new guard of comics writers. Um, Definitely. But- all hitting their strides and maybe it's a one-time thing, but what if it's not? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, uh, while we're talking about Rosenberg, you know, we, we talked about uncanny and, and, you know, not having a creative team yet. It, it seemed, I mean, I don't know. My working fan theory is that, you know, this black thing is sort of the placeholder between blue and gold ending and uncanny, which is probably going to end up being November solicits unless Marvel decides to surprise us this week. But, you know, if you could pick a creative team for that book right now, who who would you go with? Jonathan Hickman and Russell Dodderman would be my pick. You are on that Hickman train. I'm on the Hickman train. I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm on, I guess I'm like sort of embarrassed about it just because, because it's like the easy, maybe the easy choice, too easy choice. And it's like, what it. It's nice to fantasize about, but practically, can you even start to picture it? It seems 
seems unlikely, but yeah, I'm, I'm right there. I, I'm a big Hickman fan. It it would be it would it would be a coup. You know, um, I could very easily, I could see Hickman doing a long run on the X Men, and I think maybe the X Men is in need of a long run. You know, an, an architect, sort of the way Claremont was for so long. Mm-hmm. That said, I just I feel like Secret Wars. Um, maybe I've said this before, but like after you destroy the multiverse, what, you know, what is left? I, I absolutely agree. And I think he's even said that it's like, I, I destroyed the Marvel universe. I'm done. Um, but he was, he was notably two things here. I mean, sure. I, and I don't, I don't, I hate to play these games where it's like sort of prosecutorial. Like we assemble our evidence to make our case for what's going to happen in comics when it's like, if we just wait three weeks. It'll, you know, yeah. but, um, but let's leave the witness anyway. Yeah, but uh, um, he was at that Marvel retreat, as was Christopher Priest, who's who's now had a couple projects announced announced at at Marvel, and Hickman's had nothing. Mm -hmm. And um, he also came back to finish that long gestating Shield series, which seems significant to me. And they haven't announced anything else for him, so it's like there there seems to be something in the works between Mm -hmm. him and Mark. I do, I do feel like the Xbox right now, you know, maybe not a blue and gold, but I do feel like there is sort of like, there is a next generation already there. If you look at, you know, the first book, first X book they put Matt Rosenberg on was, a, was like a, the big event for the year, which is bringing back Gene Gray. So I yep. feel like he's a contender. I feel like Kelly Thompson is a contender. Um, I did float the, the idea on Twitter and this is this is really just sort of what I would like to see as a fan, you know, doing, taking what they've been doing with Leah Williams and kind of giving her these sort of one you know one shots and backup stories and giving her like a backup in Uncanny and just sort of taking a different character each time and go you know have fun, kind of I- explore them, you know. Uh, they they seem to be sort of breaking in this new generation through these sort of tangential books like that like yeah. giving like oh here's here's an annual for you here's a one shot for you here's a backup story for you and so yeah i think that would be um fantastic especially if it's has to do with everyone everywhere's favorite character maggot <laughs> <laughs> i i i have i have to believe god I, I i can't believe how much you people have turned me around on maggot <laughs> yeah, when I when I first interacted with you on Twitter, you were like, "Explain this to me. This is awful." <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 the passion that like it's you and Leah and Zach Jenkins just show toward this one <laughs> cast off character from the late nineties. But no, I I do feel like Jordan White's kind of keeping Maggot in his back pocket for something. I. If you, you know, getting earlier, we were talking about highlights of the con. I think the single best moment for me was during the X-Men Q&A when uh, the question was, do, do are any of you interested in bringing back some depowered characters? And C.B. Sobolski, who's very cool and very excited about comics, it was kind of cool to see him to just kind of feel that in the room. Is like, well, what what depowered characters do you guys want to see? And somebody immediately yells, "Maggot!" And it's like he couldn't help himself. He's like, "Maggot!" <laughs> like, 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 <laughs> like it was like just this visceral, like, no, <laughs> like we're not. Like, in, are you serious? <laughs> so I don't have a whole lot of hope for 
for if, if it is in the works, it's all Jordan White and, and CB doesn't know about it yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll leave Akira Yashida out of this. <laughs> yeah, I also went to his, uh, he had a like, it was like a heart to heart with, with Scotty Young and uh, uh-huh. they pre-screened audience questions of that thing. Okay. So make of that what you will. I feel like there was one one topic in particular they were pre-screening for. Yeah, no, definitely. But he's great. Like I like I I mean that that whole thing aside and it's like that's very uncomfortable. Um the guy is very enthusiastic especially about the art at Marvel. Like you could just whenever talk turns into new comics mm-hmm. like it's it's not a throw in to talk about the artists like this guy loves artists and the comic book art and it's it's super evident. Oh, that is that is very good to hear. Um, yeah. Trying to go down the list here of other things that were yeah, super exciting. Um, Batman Who Laughs Mini from Scott Snyder and uh, Jock sounds like it's gonna be pretty good. That 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 be, he kind of became the, uh, the 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 hit character of of metal. Yeah. Uh, it, as he should have been like I, that the, just the, the Greg Capullo design alone. I saw a guy cosplaying as the Batman who laughs, like just kind of woofing down a bright red Italian ice in the hallway at CD at SDCC, like just going for it. And people were taking pictures of him doing it. And I was like, what are these people going to do with their, uh, their Batman who laughs cosplay Italian ice photo. And then I was like, wait a minute, they're probably gonna put it on Twitter, which is what I should do. So I did. <laughs> well, you know, the good thing about doing choosing the red Italian ice is that it, you know, helps keep the uh, the lipstick fresh or the. Uh, yeah. It was late in the day. You're absolutely right. I think there was there was sort of like a uh, I don't know if that was a happy accident, but it was definitely uh, helping to accentuate the cosplay. Um, what was some of the other uh, cosplay or memorable cosplay that you saw? There were three dudes on stilts dressed as like sort of full full fledged transformers. There's a Megatron, I think Starscreen and Optimus Prime with a super loud car horn, just sort of walking um, back and forth through the uh, exhibit hall. There was a lot of cosplay that sort of aspired to tell a story. Like you'd be like, you're not just Thor, you're like Thor after he gets beat up. Um, there was a guy as Logan with Deadpool's head impaled on his uh, claw, and I was like. There's kids. Like this is really graphic. <laughs> um, what else? I mean, there's just so much cosplay. Like so much. The best. The like. There's a lot of cosplay that I think are people who don't have um, passes to the show because I think I saw the highest volume of it right outside the hall. Like especially at the end of the night, it's, it seemed like a lot of people would just kind of show up to like photograph themselves and cosplay immediately outside mm-hmm. the con and. You know, good for them, I guess. I don't know. They, they made not, it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, how did you make out with swag? Did you end up having to check an additional bag on the way back? I did not. So I guess I should be proud of myself. However, I have not looked at my bank account since I've been home. <laughs> I'm terrified to do so. I I actually I was pretty good. Um, until like I finished my that excellent panel was my last story on site for the beat and I finished it maybe at one thirty two o'clock which gave me like three hours um 
before the show shut down to go shopping. And I think I spent like 150 bucks in 20 minutes, like just buying. Because <laughs> I'd go up to these booths and be like, do you have any con exclusives? And they they all did. They'd show them to me and I'd say, how much would these cost? At which point, it really made no difference how much they cost because I was already going to buy them. Like They could have came and said, these are $200 and I would have bought them all. But um, I, I mostly stuck to like, I got a few... Um, like I got the Ice Cream Man hardcover con exclusive from Image. I got the Cal Exit con exclusive from Black Mass Studio, which was like, <laughs> if you're familiar with that world, it's it's sort of California has broken away from the Union is now at war, and it it had like stormtroopers in front of the actual San Diego Convention Center, and I bought it from Matt Zolo, the writer, yeah, um, and signed it for me and stuff. That was really cool. Very happy about that, and a lot of just a lot of exclusive comic books. You know, I'm not I don't collect toys. Or anything like that so the um it was all stuff i could sort of like just tuck into a backpack my back hurt pretty badly by the time i got home yeah walking around a con floor will f up your back if you're you know because you're basically just eight hours with a messenger bag you know on your feet yeah. mm-hmm. and i had a laptop with me the whole time because i was writing so yeah that that sucked <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how else i could have done it i saw people writing stories on their phones and stuff and i'm like i do i'll I'll take the backache at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, you went to a Jack Kirby panel too while you were there, right? Yeah, I did. Um, which was cool. One of the moderator whose name I don't know, I apologize for that, was is one of only five people to have been to every San Diego Comic-Con, which there have now been 49. Next year will be 50. And um, that whole panel was just – it was sort of alternating between talking about Jack Kirby's genius and also uh, that he was a very sweet man apparently um, and just comics history, like various bits of comics history, which was it was pretty fascinating. To be totally transparent though, I was there because it immediately preceded the X-Men panel, which I had to cover. But, uh, it was sort of a happy um, – it was better. Some of the other panels I, I sat in on, one of them – before panels I had to cover were pretty awful. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They'd be like about video game design or just stuff that I have no interest in. So the Kirby one was like hitting the jackpot. The hitting the jackpot on the Kirby panel. That was terrible. I'm sorry. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jack, not... Jackpot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were trying to go for some kind of like face it tiger you hit the jackpot thing but I was like wait no Steve Ditko created Spider-Man and he's dead now too. Yeah. No, too too many layers there. I was very obvious guy's name is Jack. I didn't do it on purpose and I'm sorry. It's it's okay. <laughs> we'll move past it. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um so overall, you know, taking in the experience you know, would you do San Diego again? I'm going to do it again. Yeah, I'll be there. I'm planning. I'll be there next year. If the beat will have me, I'll be back writing for them. And my impression was that if you're willing to help them out, they're down to take you. So, yeah, I, I'm planning to do it again. And I may, my wife may come as well because there were actually, outside of the work, um, there were a lot of panels that I think, you know, she's a journalist as well, just sort of about social media and how should how should media professionals, which are what creators are, really interact on Twitter. Um, what's it like to be in the robot chicken writer's room when you're the only woman? Um, just a lot of like like panels that I think 
the two of us both being in the media could really get a lot from, and I wish she would have been there. So I think we may make a weekend of it, but yeah, I loved it. It was amazing experience. Um, and one, it's like, you see, you've, I saw the photos for years. So there's a little bit of that thing where, uh, it's a little surreal to, to be there on the first day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you work today. Yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I got to work at 1045. It's like embarrassing. Um, thankfully, the editor of the publication I write for was out on vacation. So unless she listens to this podcast, I'm probably in the clear. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was a tough day. I mean, I had phone interviews to do for my day job, um, one of which I was like, hi, thank you. And the lady just started laughing like I must have sounded so stupid and exhausted. Um but I got through it. I'm home now, so recovering. I'm gonna go out and get um, some fresh fruit and some boba tea and a sushi burrito and just really lay down. That that sounds that sounds very nice. Yes. Also, something you'd be interested in. I'm replaying Final Fantasy three, so I'll probably get some of that in. Ooh, wait, hold on. Japanese Final Fantasy three or American three, where it's actually six. No, American 3 where it's actually 6 via this, the SNES Mini. That is my favorite game of all time. Yeah. Hands you down. You should visit it. It's it's well worth the trip down memory lane. I, I do. Like once every couple of years. I'm actually – I'm playing 4, two, originally 2 in the U.S. right uh-huh. now. And uh, it's like the, the remix version they put out for – the um, iOS or something? I forget. I can't remember whether it was the 3DS or or the um, – yeah, it had to have been a – yeah, so it was for the uh, for the 3DS. So it's like all the graphics were upscaled and everything. Um, it's a lot harder than I feel like the original Super Nintendo version was. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I forget what platform I'm, – I'm with you. I don't remember what platform – I remember playing that remix version at some point in my life. Um, and I do remember being very them sort of upping the difficulty on that game. That game's crazy. It ends on the moon. Yeah, it, it was like one of those weird games where it was like you you know, gold, you're fighting Golbez pretty much throughout the entire time, and then it's like, no, the real villain is this guy. No, the real villain is this guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just yeah. ends up being it, it, it's like a little fuzzy kind of. Um, oh my god! It looks like this obscure he-man villain and then it turns into like just this giant sort of ugly meteor on the moon yeah right? on the moon final fantasy villains are weird sometimes i remember uh 13 the first 13 because there were three of them mm-hmm. <laughs> usually I, th- usually this is where we say comics everybody but video games everybody um <laughs> like that was another one where like the villain keeps transforming like you know friggin dragon ball z show you my final form and the final form of the villain was like a wheel with a baby's face in the middle or something like that it was ridiculous uh, i i checked out after 10 um cards on the table i went away to college that year and just mm-hmm. that was the end of my final fantasy uh journey but baby wheel face sounds terrible (laughs) i don't believe that was i don't believe that was its name but that's what we're going with yeah i actually i skipped not use that name (laughs) i i skipped 9 10 11 and 12 and then i played 13 and for some reason they started getting into like doing alternating uh installments as mmos and 
where you had to like buy know, a subscription. Yeah. I'm like, I, well, no, I'm not doing that. Did, when did did that start with eleven or twelve? 12, I feel like that was part of the reason I was like done. Twelve and fourteen, I think, were MMOs. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I I can't believe you skipped nine. That that's like a throwback to to the Super Nintendo era. It's a it's a, a very retro Final Fantasy. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been told that's a good one. Uh, I'll I'll you know I'll have to check it out someday. I had like a, a PlayStation and a PS2 for a while, but I've I've long since gotten rid of them. And you know I don't really play on my PC, or else I get that like mm-hmm. you know, the remixed version of Seven because I've heard good things yeah. about that. But otherwise, yeah. Um, a little resentful towards seven because i feel like when the super super uh i'm not that resentful i mean it's just a video game but i remember i remember when i when i was how young, did it hurt you zach <laughs> when i was a younger man feeling a little resentment towards seven because it was like at my school i like uh-huh. on super nintendo it was like my thing and then all of a sudden playstation came out and had seven and all of a sudden it was everyone's thing and i was like huh but i know that's you're not i've matured long past that feeling the thing that seven, the thing about seven that got me was when you finally beat it, all the end credit scenes and everything. It takes like an hour. It does take a long time. Yeah, like, I remember finally beating Sephiroth and like realizing I had like an hour left before I had to go to work and being like, "Oh, I may not have enough time to <laughs> watch all of this." Hurry it up. Yeah. I, I think the first disc, of, it was when it was broke. I forget how many discs it was, but the first disc like sort of ends with Sephiroth killing Eris or whatever. Yes, yes. The, the first disc of Seven was was pretty epic. And then in, and then it starts to get into like the uh, Cloud's name is Zack secretly and he had brown hair and he's a clone. And then you're like, I've lost the thread here, but I'm just going to play it to the end. Yeah, and then the third disc is where it starts to get gives you like it finally gets sandboxy where you can just sort of wander around and fight yeah. the Ultima weapons, but you know That's right. unless you're like the best person ever at that game, you're just gonna die every single time. Or you just I I used to farm out leveling up to my younger brother. Like he was he, <laughs> I'd be like, level up, Kyle. And he'd just spend hours like walking back and forth, leveling up the characters, and then I'd come in and start advancing the plot. I had a real good scam going there. So I was able to like collect a lot of the weapons that way. That is smart. Yeah. Oh, it man. Was, it was great. And you, to this, like recently we were at a family gathering and he's like, I used to love Final Fantasy. It was so relaxing and leveling up those characters. And I was like, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did this for you. <laughs> You're nice welcome. To- yeah. <laughs> anyway, a little off topic. No, that is that is okay. That that's like a nice kind of refreshing uh, Arab aperitif as we as we wind down here. Um, Zach, now that you're you're kind of back to work, back to life, back to reality. Uh, you know, let's let's quick talk about you know your your other site. Let's, you know, what's going on with Batman's bookcase? What can people look forward to over there? Oh, I'm doing a lot of reviews now. I've I've really stepped that up mostly because I got into media lists to get uh to get comics to review rather because i always feel weird rolling out reviews like a week later or whatever sure Um, doing a lot more reviews now um and they're all good they're all almost always positive because i i uh i don't enjoy tearing things down so i'll generally review books by creators 
mean, I'll keep them to task and I like to try to analyze what they're doing, mm -hmm. but I'm never going to have like a one, a 1.0 review. Like this is garbage because I won't, I just won't review mm -hmm. that book. It's more, a lot of my reviews are more, this is what I like about great comics rather than like, and I'm I, like, I don't feel obligated to review big issues all the time and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm just, I mean, Batman's bookcase was sort of born out of me being bored at work and it continues to be that to this day. <laughs> Share my hobby with anyone who wants to hop on and join me with it. Uh, we'll close as we always do. Uh, best ways to follow you online. Well, I'm on Twitter at Batman's bookcase and then uh, batmansbookcase.com. All right, Zach, thank you once again for coming on. Yeah, man, my pleasure. Always, always fine. I hope I was coherent today because I am, I am exhausted. Plenty coherent. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ and A on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. Uh, check out the site this week, some of the stuff we got going on. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. X, number one, comes out this week from Kelly Thompson and Oscar Bizaldua. Uh, and Matt Lazowitz looks at four Rogue and Gambit stories that you should read uh, before picking up the new number one. Uh, also, it's Solicits Week, so we're going to be talking about our top picks for October's DC, Marvel, Image, Boom, Archie uh, books, all of those. And uh, you know, reviews by Joshua Bermont and uh, plenty more content. So check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. WMQA.